Hello, everyone. Welcome to another new episode of One Vision. Today, we have the honor to have our original host coming back to join us. Clearly, he didn't think that we're interesting enough anymore. Arun, thank you for gracing us with your presence. Hello, everyone. We miss you. Anyway, it's always great to have the three of us back together. A lot has been going on in the world of fintech as well as in the world in general. Let's start off with how is everyone doing, Brett? How is your back to school? Yeah, so we're back to school and it's very exciting. I will tell you that after six or seven days of uh, distance learning 2.0, uh, we're all making adjustments, we're all innovating for education and we're all having the, you know, the needs of our children at the forefront of everything that we do. And I just wanna say that uh, for those of you that do not have younger children, that cannot sit in front of a computer for uh, five minutes or more until they wiggle and wiggle, get into trouble, um, whether it's together or with each other or through a little chit chat that they have with their friends. Um, you need to design uh, applications around the fact that parents right now have their heads, you know, off of their own bodies. Um, so a little mini rant, but uh, regardless of your situation at home and whether you have children, Please consider all of our parents as we transition into this educational fall nightmare. Wow, that is a wonderful start to our episode. Um, luckily, mine have not started yet, although I feel like it is going to be a disaster in about two and a half weeks time. If yesterday's uh, computer pickup is any indication of that, that will literally ensure nightmares to follow. I don't know about those who are listening, but my kids, my lovely little children who are always beautiful and angelic on social media, they are going to be required to sit in front of the virtual class from 8.30 in the morning until 2.30 in the afternoon with one hour break. Now, I am not sure about you guys. I cannot do that. I am a little squirrel. So imagine me with two little kids having to make sure they sit still and pay attention for the entire school year like that. Yay, more to come on that. Arun, you're the lucky one, right? The UK is still on break right now? Right, for us um, in the UK, uh, the schools opened actually about seven weeks even before the vacation started. So uh, although the schools opened, uh, we didn't have our, we didn't send our daughter uh, to the school. Uh, but we had a good um, seven weeks of warming up and figuring it out and, and stuff like that. So uh, when the school reopens again in um, in September, I think it'll be relatively less chaotic, uh, I hope. Uh, so we're still uh, yet to decide if, if she's going to go to school at that point uh, because the numbers are starting to like in the last week or so here. And we, we don't know if the official um, kind yeah. of uh, verdict is open school or not, I mean, I mean or rather um, virtual or um, yeah, on-prem. So we still are figuring it out. We'll know, I mean, every week seems to be different these days, so we'll figure it out. Apart from that, from a routine perspective, we've been all right. We've been managing things all right. Um, it's been kinder to us than it's been to you guys, I guess. I, I think the, the most interesting thing has been, in the US at least, um, the reopening and then the closure of schools around the country. And, you know, it's it's frustrating as a parent because you want to do everything you can to make sure that your children are being educated properly. And you just, you know, you you appreciate so much what the schools and the teachers are doing. The, the challenge, I think, is that we just don't know. 
um, and we're getting so used to what is, you know, kind of a new normal. And it, you just can't expect, you know, at least younger children to sit in front of a computer like that. But the, the challenge, I think, is going to be adjusting to this. And when we talk about the financial impact of, um, you know, at least one of the parents having to focus so much, regardless of how much in, in front of a computer a child is, but it has financial impacts. And I think it should have financial impacts to the way that founders are thinking about their solutions right now. So I don't know what else is going on in the world. Yeah, I think to add to that too, um, there's also a, uh, a gender aspect, right? As a lot of us um, know, even before the pandemic, oftentimes women are the ones who bear the most of uh, domestic unpaid work, if you will, taking care of kids and taking them to school, cleaning, groceries, cooking, and what have you. Um, and the challenge is much more so on single parents, which, you know, that has been evolving in the United States. A lot of, a lot of um, the single parents, unfortunately, are women as well. And so when you think about impact of COVID, and we have written that quite a few uh, about that challenge is, you know, do they have to choose between going to work so they can get put food on the table or what are they going to do with the child support? Um, that was what was a case that we had discussed before with FSU, where they implicitly say, if you are working remotely for us, you are not allowed to take care of your child at home. So now what are all these working parents going to do, right? And, and there's growing evidence that working parents are bearing the blunt of this, both financially, economically, as well as from a career perspective. And we all know that a lot of times when you do take a break, you can't catch that time back. So there's a lot of implications, you know, that is going on with the pandemic beyond just, you know, schools and how do we handle the schools? And we haven't even talked about the digital divide. The fact that there are millions of children who do not have access to broadband internet. They are going to be the ones that will be left behind. We're not talking about just one or two months break from school. We're talking about an entire school year. Um, so anyway, what else is happening in fintech around the world? Well, big news, Robinhood um, got another big round of funding. Now is worth more than 11 billion. Arun, I remember earlier this year, we did an episode. We were talking about fintech funding. We were talking about what's going on with all the rounds. They're getting bigger and bigger mega deals. But we thought we would see a pullback in the market. What do you think is happening now? Um, I think there are corrections in the market, without a doubt. Um, uh, but uh, there is money flowing in for um, for deals that uh, that investors still see are are good. Um, and uh, the other thing that to keep in mind is that there's been a few trillions pumped into the system now, so that has to end up somewhere. Um, and uh, so I'm not surprised that uh, Robinhood, especially. Uh, I mean, for me, Robinhood has been uh, Robinhood has been another kind of a Zoom or a Peloton that's come out as uh, um, as kind of got uh, had a advantage through the pandemic uh, because people have been on. Um, as far as I know, they've been uh, play with the booming uh, capital markets despite the despite all 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 the craziness. Uh, people are getting into uh, investment apps like uh, Robinhood, so. 
I'm not surprised that uh, they managed to pull off that uh, the funding round and uh, that kind of crazy valuations. And the more I talk to people in Silicon Valley in London, that's what I keep hearing. It, it, money is there. It's just people are getting choosy about where to put it. I think one of the the things that's also interesting is um, the amount of money that is going into infrastructure uh, startups. You know, just this past week, um, our friends at Move Financial, Wade Arnold and uh, crew, him and Bob Smith, founded this company in 2018. But their seed round, $5.5 million, led by Bain Capital, um, is interesting and sort of telling. There's an awful lot of money going into the companies that are sort of building the underbelly uh, of payments and banking architecture and the way that uh, money is moved and sort of the way that, that credit is pulled together and shared between small businesses and the like. And when you think about, you know, where we were five years ago and a lot of the, the money was going into direct consumer apps like Robinhood, um, it's it's changed, right? So so I think there's, there's a lot more interest and there's been a lot more energy into building uh, companies that are building on either open banking or open data uh, or sort of the payment rails so that we're pulling away from the need to, you know, go with the large networks. And now founders are going to have options, lower cost options to be able to build, build upon. So I'm, you know, really bullish about what's happening in the space, what's happening in investments. You know, people are being smart about where they're putting their money. So I think, um, you know, maybe a little bit less billions to direct to consumer applications and maybe a little bit more to enablers of uh, things that are going to actually help consumers. You mean the unsexy side of things that's actually needed? <laughs> um, is it just me or is it five, five mil for a seed is, is quite large? I, I feel like that the definition and the size of seed is growing um, the same way that we're gaining weight through COVID-19. Uh, yeah, um, the, the COVID-19, I think that 19 stands for a lot of different things for some of us. Uh, four or five months of, um, you know, shelter at home and, and eating home cooked meals, I think will probably do that. But, you know, five and a half million for, for a company that's been around since 2018, I think it's, um, it's a very small team. And now they'll be able to really just throw gas in what they're building. You know, they have uh, 37 um, sort of open hub open source um, libraries for companies to build off of. And as they expand that out, you know, they'll need that to build out a team of engineers. And so, yeah, I mean, most of the companies that we work with are getting seed rounds that are, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars at that, half a million dollars at most. Um, but we've seen over the last 10 years with SoftBank and the rest that there's been an inflation, but I think that will pull back quite a bit. What do you think, Arun? Um, uh, there may be some correction, and the other thing to think about is also that um, when a when a recession or a slowdown in economy happens, it shows up, or the, the slowdown shows up um, in the PE stroke VC space with a little bit of a delay. Um, so you are going to probably not notice it now, maybe in two years' time. But again, um, as I said, I've been I've been recently I had a conversation with a, with an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, and he's like, I may be speaking from a bubble, but there is money in Silicon Valley for the right firm. So yeah, I mean, if if, if uh, and and people have money. I mean, despite all that, all the recession talks, the slowdown talks, 
uh, V-shaped recovery. Uh, I don't know about that, but all that, I think people is, people have got money this time, um, from, probably because of all the money that's been pumped into the system. So yeah, that's probably what I have to say. Speaking of money, I don't know if you guys noticed, uh, Citibank apparently overpaid $175 million by mistake. Um, that's a lot of money to, to accidentally um, overpay somebody. I wouldn't mind some of that coming our way. Um, speaking of the other trends that's going on, debit cards, debit cards, debit cards. It, it, I am so tired of debit cards. Everyone is launching debit cards and I thought it was going to pause for a while but um, it's still going strong last week Goldman Sachs um, is looking to tie up with GM's credit card betting that you will buy coffee with your car I'm not sure about you I have not driven my car for a while um, and then yesterday Samsung pay card is announced as a new MasterCard debit card from Samsung launched in UK um, I was hoping we'll see something more interesting than more metal debit cards. But the, the thing about debit cards is that, you know, it, it, at least in the U.S., the interchange income allows you to find dynamics that will actually build um, enough revenue to actually continue to scale. The challenge um, with taking, you know, that approach is that you're just building out, you know, sort of a, a, a current account or sort of a day-to-day -day spend account. And unless you actually build on top of that, the ability to access credit, the ability to understand, you know, other ways to invest money and, and the like. I mean, I think that neobanks that have the full cycle of the sort of household economics or the household spend are the ones in the long term, you know, that are going to really have success. You know, we're seeing that with Vero and Chime and others. Um, so it needs to be more than just a one trick pony because we have hundreds of those practically now. Um, but this is banking, right? They're trying to figure out how to redo banking, but they're doing exactly like a bank. Um, I have a couple of uh, interesting stories there because what I'm hearing from parts of Asia is that contactless is starting to become quite a uh, quite a norm there. Uh, definitely in India, I'm also hearing stories around SoftPos, which is basically using a mobile as a um, as a point of sale device, which is from a from a small and medium enterprises. Uh, uh, they, they can just use their iPhone and instead of having a specialist uh, device to accept payments. So those those are encouraging signs that we are going moving the right direction from our from an infrastructure perspective for uh, for payments. Um, cards are a bit yes, uh, uh, probably shouldn't be thinking about it. But yeah, uh, what, what what do I say? I mean, I'm, I I hardly use my card these days. Card these days, I don't use any of my cards. Um, but just I use my phone, um, and uh, I'm not sure what 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 behavior data is driving these decisions from banks. You know, it's it's interesting though. You know, when you when you look at the dynamics, there was um, a, a good sort of breakdown of all the challenger bank unit economics, and two thirds of Revolut's uh, income right now is coming from interchange. So people are using that card. The the other piece though, to my earlier point, was that. If, if you're only providing sort of one side of the relationship and you're not actually sort of fostering and enabling the other pieces, then you get into this thing like, you know, the we have Facebook pay and Facebook things coming around on payment. You've got Square doing this thing where they're enabling anybody within the cash app to borrow up to $200. 
you're having piecemeal broken up pieces of financial relationship across all of these different startups. And all they're doing is trying to, you know, sort of bring you in and keep you as a customer and have that ongoing. The challenge again is going to be, you know, who's going to be able to piece these things together. Um, it's, it's still to me, open banking, open data, you know, all these applications, it's a mess. If I were starting out and I was, you know, 18 years old and I said, oh, you know, how do I do my banking? I'll do a little bit here, a little bit there, a little, a little bit here. And before you know it, you've got 20 different applications that have pieces of your money. It's a mess. Absolutely a mess. Something interesting, the last, the last two, three weeks or so, we've been seeing a lot of news coverage on Starling and Monzo over in the UK. What happened to the other ones? Because you guys have a bunch of these challenger banks. Um, what's going on there? Um, <laughs> there's been some uh, noise around the the management or or the shift in the management at Monzo. Um, that's been some. Uh, I mean, Starling have been personally. I think I'm I'm a big fan of Starling and uh, and Warren. Uh, they've been they've been doing really well. I mean, it takes a banker to run a bank, really. So that's probably the difference. Um, uh, and, uh, in, in all this noise, I'm not sure I'm missing Revolute. Uh, they've been quietly, they've, I think they closed fundraising around, uh, a couple of weeks earlier, saw the news as well. So, uh, it's, it's, and, and they've done it at a, uh, not at a kind of a discounted round. They didn't do it as a down round, as they call it in the VC space. Uh, they did it at a, uh, uh, much, uh, much higher valuation than, uh, or rather, Relatively high valuation than what Monzo managed to do, so um, I think I think that's that's all interesting. Uh, for me, Monzo seems to be probably the one that will that will struggle uh, if if uh, if if anything. Uh, Starling and Revolut, I think, probably are, uh, are going to come out as uh, beneficiaries of this um, of the pandemic, I guess. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I think yesterday um, there was an article that came out from uh, City AM that talked about uh, Monzo and Starling topping the list of the best uh, UK banks. And it was a survey done by the CMA um, looking at a thousand customers um, and across a variety of, of providers. Uh, unsurprisingly, the ones on the top of Monzo, Starling, First Direct Metro, Nationwide, Barclays, the ones all the way in the bottom, um, Royal Bank of Scotland and Tesco. Um, I think it will be interesting to see to see how um, they fare through the next, uh, I'd say, six to twelve months as consumer habits continue to change. Um, so let's dive in a little bit to the other side of the world. Um, we had spent a considerable amount of time last year on our episodes on. Uh, what we call the red envelope, which is looking at the state of innovation in Asia, China, India, Southeast Asia, et cetera. So obviously the hot topic of the month is the tension between China and the US and all the various posturing by the current administration in the United States against the apps and the companies in China, as well as the position that some of the allies, for example, that India is taking. So Arun, what's your take on that? 
Uh, we all understand the reason why things are happening between the U.S. and uh, China, the, the the posturing and and uh, the challenges that that comes out of that. Um, but from from my end, I think there's there is this sense of uh, anti-China sentiment almost. I mean, at least from uh, from all the all the circles that I I uh, exchange conversations with in India, I, I keep getting that all the time. And uh, it's uh, especially oh, since the COVID uh, broke out and uh, since things got, got really out of hand in India with, with the COVID numbers, I think there's been this negative sentiment around um, and um, around China and China, Chinese businesses invest, investing in India and taking big um, stakes. So that is, I think that will continue um, until about uh, start of this year, there was a nice balance in India between investments coming in both from the West and China, uh, be it Paytm, be it um, Walmart, uh, sorry, not Walmart, uh, Flipkart. Um, they, they were kind of accepting cash from across the world. Um, now there are going to be serious challenges there. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I'm a little concerned on on multiple fronts, right? So one obviously concern is whenever you have superpowers um, starting to put walls and curtains around different areas, I, I worry that that will stifle innovation, right? Funding obviously is one big concern, like you say, to to um, different countries. Um, exchange of ideas is another, right? There was an article recently um, about the international students that have changed their mind and they're not coming to the U.S. anymore because of immigration policy, because of tension. Um, one of the biggest source of international students in the U.S. are those coming from China. And there have been reports of um, the visas getting canceled, the applications getting canceled, or simply people just feel like the country is not welcoming anymore. And hence, they are heading to Canada, they're heading to U.K., which obviously is a boost because whenever we're talking about exchange of ideas, we're talking about innovation, we need those coming from different corners of the world, regardless of what language they speak, regardless of where they're from. I think that's where we do the best. Um, and now I feel like we're heading into what they call a splinter net, right? Um, a war garden in China, potentially a war garden in the US and God knows what else. Um, there are also privacy concerns coming from the EU. Um, I saw the uh, the privacy shield, all the chatter about it, and potential implications of companies operating in the EU and what data can come back to the US because of the EU's concern on what the US government is doing with respect to data privacy. And um, so there's a lot of challenges going on there. And just, just imagine the things that we could build if politics didn't get into the way of real innovation that helps real people. You know, it's it's like it's one thing to like say, okay, well, TikTok is in the middle of this battle, or payment company X, or social media network Y, or merchant platform Z, um, and because they're getting too powerful, and the vested interest of any company or any country is getting in the way of actually sharing technology and sharing applications that help people. Imagine what we can do with seven and a half billion people focused on helping one another and these founders simply working toward helping people regardless of where they are. I mean, hopefully, again, we will always think about the people that are in our communities and build for 
ways for them to have better lives. And, you know, it's, it makes no that we are suppressing ideas um, because of politics and because of vested interest, whether it's one nation, one country, one company. Um, so, you know, just along those lines, I just, I think brain drain or not, the United States is shooting itself in the foot for its future. And it's not just around this virus, it's around the ways that we're making decisions. And it just, it makes no sense. Um, you know, we've, we've had a pretty good run. I'm afraid that that run might be coming to an end if we're not continuing to be open to innovation that's around the world and, and gaining from the best and sharing with everyone else. I agree um, on many, many fronts, right? We talk about, um, for example, let's take Ant, for example, right? They have, what, 1.2 billion users. Um, we have seen firsthand what they have been able to do and help the um, small business, um, the solo entrepreneurs and whatnot. And I think ideas like those, innovation like those is important um, because look at our country right now. We need help. We need new ideas. We need talent. We need ways to uplift those that have left, that have lost their jobs. We need ways to uplift those that suffer from the pandemic, from the recession, the people that are unemployed. Over 30-something millions of people are unemployed right now. Um, they need jobs. And those are not the jobs from 10 years ago. We need new jobs for them. We need new jobs for them that pay. Um, that was a sobering, um, really, really sad stat um, about the millions of people that even the fact that they are still working, but yet they still struggle to put food on the table. Um, the food banks are running short. They have reported that the number of people that are lining up for food has doubled in the last few months. So for a country that is argu unarguably the richest in the entire world. How have we come to a state where our infrastructure is crumbling? Our education system is in chaos. Our healthcare system is in jumbles with millions of people unemployed, looking for work and looking for money. If there is a time for us to reflect, if there is a time for us to band together and put aside our differences in the politics and all that to do what is right and what is best for not just our country, not just ourselves, but for our children and for the society at large, this is the time. This is the time when we need to rethink how we build and rebuild better. This is the time when we need to think and rethink about how we foster ideas, how we create businesses, businesses that matter, that serve a purpose that can help people not just in the coastal cities, that can help people not just in the technology companies that are making millions and millions and billions and trillions, but those that are in different parts of the country, different parts of the society, those that do not have access to the talents, to the resources, to all the things that we take for granted. Let's think about those that are in the rural areas. There's a lot that needs to be done and it needs to be done now. So with that, Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of One Vision.